I know this is the session you've all been waiting for. So this is the highlight of the conference. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is the nuts and bolts of uh, church life. Uh, we're going to introduce ourselves in a, a second. Um, Look, all, what we want to do is we want to... You guys have got principles all week. Uh, and so we're going to move really quickly through those as fast as we can. We want to tell you what we're doing in church operation world uh, to try and make things easier uh, so you can you can take take ideas away uh, and implement them and ask us questions. So hopefully we have a lot of time for questions and because we do operations means we do things effectively and fast and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll hopefully finish with loads of time to spare. Yeah, there's no PowerPoint or anything like that. So we'll just get straight into it. But to make it a little bit easier for us, what would be really helpful is to actually know who we're talking to and uh, what your kind of role is. So rather than going around and get everyone to introduce themselves, which will just take too long, how about we do it like this? Uh, put your hands up. So everyone put their hands up. Great. So if you are responsible for setting the vision direction of your church, uh, i.e. you're a senior pastor, put your hand down. Good. This isn't for you anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> um, Off you go, Liam. You can, you can go. That's fine. Mate. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you are involved in business or administration of your church, so things such as finance, risk, governance, basically all the boring stuff, put your hands down. Excellent. Uh, maybe you're involved in communications or web media graphics type stuff, put your hands down. All right, who's left? What have we got left? Uh, sorry, Elder. Elder, yep. yep. Good, excellent. He's just a legend. Yeah. yeah. So. Maintenance. Maintenance. Okay, oh. great. And was someone else over here with their hand up? Just admin. Just general admin. So like all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. great. Love having you here. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Do we not talk to anyone? No. Okay. Cool. Excellent. That's really helpful. So we get a good idea. So of, who of, the, of the people out. who are doing finance and and business, that type of thing. Um, hands up if you do more than that, more than finance. Oh. Yeah, so just general admin stuff, like all that stuff. Yeah, that's what you do. Okay, cool. So there's some people who are, just, who are primarily finance. Is that right? Okay, cool. Okay, excellent. Okay, well, look, uh, what we want to do is, uh, I, I'm Dave, so Hunter Bowl Church. I came from a, uh, I did a couple of years in IT uh, when internet startups were a thing and I got made redundant a few times and it was fantastic and then went into MTS uh, thinking that I would just go and be a church support person but my trainer said, no, no, we'll get you reading the Bible with people and so I did MTS and loved ministry and ended up going to... Uh, Theological college, and I've been in pastoral ministry uh, for the past 11 years after Harbour College. Uh, yep, that's my world. That's where I've come from. So very little in the workforce, and I'm a pastor. That's fine. Yeah, cool. So I uh, studied engineering, but I was rubbish at it. So uh, my first engineering job, I quickly got promoted to being a manager, uh, which is normally what happens in these situations. Uh, and then I thought, oh, I probably should get some skills around managing. So I went back and I studied an MBA. Uh, I spent time working as a project manager in the defence industry in Adelaide, uh, so large 
complex projects. Uh, after that, I moved into the only other industry that's in Adelaide, which is mining. Uh, so I spent uh, seven years uh, in BHP Billiton in a variety of different leadership roles, predominantly around developing strategy and then seeing it implemented. Um, during that time, I attended one of the Trinity Network church plants, uh, and I was uh, on a leadership team in that church plant. And uh, one day, Paul Harrington, the boss of the Trinity Network, uh, asked me if I'd come and work with him. And to be honest with you, I couldn't really come up with a good reason why I shouldn't. Uh, so three years later, here I, I am. Um, the Trinity Network of Churches, you probably, if you heard Matt speak last night, you'd heard a little bit about it. We're in Adelaide. We've got 10 churches uh, that are across the metropolitan area of Adelaide. And we, we operate as a network, so we think by hanging together we can achieve more uh, than by all going separate. That plays out in church operations quite a bit because we actually do centralise uh, a lot of what we do. So uh, I understand when I talk about what we do, that's kind of the context I'm coming on from in that respect. Yeah. Now, this is one of the things I think is going to be helpful. For those of us in the room who, ha who have who've gone through Bible college, can I just get a show of hands? Have you gone to Bible college, that sort of thing? Okay, hands down. Those of you who've, who've, who you would call yourself in corporate world, like you've come from corporate world and you're in corporate world. Amen. All right. Okay, now what we're going to do, this is normally thought to be a problem. So this is what normally happens, right? Pastor looks at corporate world guy and says, you don't understand. You don't get church world. You're, and, and nothing you have to say is helpful. <laughs> okay, this is, this is what happens. Like, we don't like to say this, but this is what pastors can think. So w pastors will think things like, uh, look, you corporate world people, all you think is that if, you, if we make a strategy and hold to it, it'll all work. You don't understand church. That you're just on about, if we just get the programs right, then that's all you've got to do and, uh, and church just flows out of that. You don't actually care about people. That's your problem. Thanks. Okay. Um, what I'd say to that is, mate, it's not just about organically growing the church. That's an excuse uh, for not attending to basic fundamental tasks. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Huh? And it's right. It's right. So one of the things that pastors, we need to own is that we spiritualise disorganisation. <laughs> We think we're being spiritual and godly by not planning things and not organising things and not executing things well. We think we're being Christian and we de-spiritualise organisation. We think, oh, because you're putting so much thought and planning and strategy, you're not trusting in God, you're using worldly wisdom, when it's not that. It's simply loving people. It all comes down to the, the idea... If you've got lots of, if you've got a family of one child, organising a weekend away doesn't take that much effort, right? If you've got four kids, I'm from, we've got four kids. You know, you've got to organise that thing weeks in advance. You need to have the car that can fit it. You need all. You've got to put so much planning. As soon as you get more people, you have to plan well. It's just loving to do that. And the same is, is true with church. The more people you get, the more you have to think carefully and lovingly, and so plan things and structure them and put systems in place. Systems love people. And uh, we think that uh, because, uh, because, uh, because, Christian, because Christians should just love each other, it should just happen, and if you have to plan 
or put thought into building a system to love, then it's not not loving. And that's just bad. That's, that's, that's not right thinking. So Acts chapter 6 should show us this, that if you want to love lots of people, you work out a system and a structure and you entrust that to people so that you can focus on the word of God and prayer. That you need to build systems when there are lots of, lots of people. So one of the things we want to do is help pastors not have that view that they're being more spiritual by not being organised, not, not planning and not doing strategy. Um, what do you think corporates need to understand about church? Mm, that's really good. I should have taken notes. Um, <laughs> so I think having moved from the corporate world, business world, into the church world, uh, the thing that I've spent the most time wrestling with, uh, and I still do, is that uh, in the corporate world, the process and the end game is all tangible. So everything's mm. tangible. Uh, increased market share, uh, higher profits, on time, project completion, all these things are tangible, measurable, uh, and to a point controllable. And when they're not controllable, we've developed a way to try and make them controllable, which is called risk management. So we try to make everything as controllable as possible. Um, now, I think some people say to that, yeah, but you're still working with people all the time and everything. But the corporate world's a little bit different. If I could, how do I say this gently? At BHP, if uh, there was a problem person, I'd release them to industry. <laughs> right? Um, problem solved. Yeah. But you can't do that in a church, and, yeah. we, sh and we shouldn't do that in a church. Um, we're, we're more of a family than we are a business or a family business. And my grandfather, he was a, a great businessman, he used to say to me, Ben, never mix business with family. <laughs> Which is great in the business world, but that's church. That, that is church. Church is... This is, we have to embrace this rather than fight it. So, yes, I think a common thing that corporates can do is go, we just treat it like a business. Now, I think that's an exaggeration. I, I haven't met any corporate, corporate people who've come into church world who really believe that, that they really want to love people, but that can be our reaction to it. However, there is a truth to it where um, because corporate world is not family and you keep family out of it and you're not ruled by emotions and that type of thing. Church world is family and so church world we have to actually embrace that, that it's two. We do have a family and it's a business. It's an organisation. And the track, let alone be thinking big picture vision and, and strategy uh, type things. But can I say I think at the end of the day the, the process that you go through in strategic planning is actually as important as where you end up. So that is the process of thinking strategically, working out what the opportunities and your issues and ways in which they can be tackled, uh, interacting with other people in your team, bouncing ideas off them, uh, that can all bring immense clarity to you as a team and a church uh, and help you as you go forward. And it's one of the few areas that actually requires everybody in a team to have a, a good input on as well. So whether you're a, a communications guy or a senior pastor or an admin person, there's input that's really helpful into strategic planning. But if it's done poorly, it's confusing and a huge waste of time. So, um, and at the end of the day, a strategic plan is what you're trying to do is you're trying to capture and align the heads and the hearts of people within your church uh, and point them all in the same direction. And when you boil it down to that, it's all it is really is a leadership tool. 
Can I ask, so in, in your church, do you lead the strategic planning or is that Paul? Um, Paul's one who sets the vision. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we both work fairly closely on the, the planning of how we see that implemented. That's at a network level. So a lot of that's not ministry nuts and bolts. Each church kind of does that. And I assist the churches as so they go through if that. you and Paul sit down and go, okay, so the strategy that we're going to implement at our level is this, but it's going to affect these people. Hmm. At what point do you bring them into the strategy discussion? Oh, well before we've decided that's what we're going to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. So even if you... Well before we tell them that's what we think we're going to do. It's an iterative process yeah. that they're involved in. Yeah. Um, so you don't want to make a decision without including them, without including their thoughts? Yeah, we're, we're, we're at all possible. There's some yeah. decisions you just need to make. Yeah. Um, but no, generally, get yeah. everyone in the room. Yeah. yeah. But when you say everyone, you're not getting everyone in the room. No, so that's, that's the balance. You've got to work out the level at which you include people yeah. uh, in that. So in a church situation, as a, I'm not a pastor, so what would I know? But as a pastor... Um, See what we unconsciously communicate to, to corporates? It's terrible. It's so bad. I've now forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> who gets in the room? <laughs> who gets in the room? Um, anyone who's going to be affected, or who needs to be able to help you implement it at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that's, that's yeah. kind of how I would... Yeah, I think I think one of the key key things, like you're saying, but the strategy thing is, is again, it's not so much what you end up with; it's going through the process. Because as you do, as you, so for, sorry, for many of us here, we're probably not in a role that we can initiate that strategy discussion. <laughs> um, uh, and so you and I are in particular roles where we can, but for many of us, we're not. But encouraging it to happen is not a smooth process because. Uh, as you say, what should be our strategy, and you've got five very clever people in the room who all have their idea of what ministry should look like, they all have an opinion about what it should be. Mm. And it's really helpful to realise, oh, so you, you don't think that mission should be that important. Right. Okay. Mm. That's an interesting discussion that, mm. as a staff team, we're probably going to need to have. How important is mission in this strategy? You know, and so it raises areas that you've assumed everyone's on the same page with, yeah. but helps realign them at the same time. Clarify. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. So I, I have spent a fair bit of time thinking about this because I, I came out of the corporate world, and I think we've got to be really careful not just to adopt the corporate model of strategic planning in a church. Um, because like strategic planning has, just by name, has corporate characteristics. Uh, and even, i found, even the most godly people uh, who are on boards or whatever, they, they bring their work experience and the, the idea of making everything tangible and measurable into that uh, context. Uh, it's just human nature. Uh, and that, that can make the strategic planning process actually really difficult. So I think... I don't really know the answers here. I'm just hypothesising. Mm. I think a better way to do it is what is in the corporate world is called straw man planning, which right. is actually, here's all the options we could go through. Let's talk about the benefits of options and what we would see happen in these options. Document them, talk with people, and as opportunities come up, mm. let's take one of those. We know they align with our vision where we want to go. 
so I'm trying to think. an example would be church planting. It would be really easy for me and Trinity Network to say in 2026 we're going to plant in um, Seaford, which is a suburb south of Adelaide. We're going to send 300 people. Uh, it's going to launch on the 24th of March. Uh, we're going to find a pastor for it. That's our strategic plan. Let's measure how we're going against that. So much of that's uncontrollable yeah. and not going to happen, right? Yeah. So the level of strategic planning needs to be flexible. And I think straw man planning, you can go away and Google it and read about it, is actually a far more helpful mm. method. It's options and it allows you to, to analyse options in concept phase and think, yeah, these align. So mm. when they come up, be able to follow them. Yeah. Sorry. Um really interested in the straw man planning yep. uh, thing because we spent all this time with a 16 page strategic plan which is important <laughs> for some strategic plan and then hit the ground this year and the whole thing is just like waste the time now because everything changed yes and all these opportunities came up and I agree the process is great mm. going through the process gave us confidence to take opportunities when they came up yes but um, I'm thinking okay, what are we doing next yep Planning is important. Yep. I don't know what you're doing, one page long. Yep. Because <laughs> I didn't read it again. We wrote the whole thing out. I put it up on the wall. Yeah. Most people put it in a drawer at the bottom. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to just maybe something uh, how you're still planning. Yeah. Uh, specifically, because what's uh, Yeah. We can spend all session talking about this. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a really quick summary of it. Um, the quickest way to do it is uh, you have opportunities, threats, SWOT analysis type thing, right? And you, you sit around as a group and you, you know, this is assuming you've got your vision set, you know what your values are and who you are and where you're going and all those kind of things. And then you sit around and you, you methodically go through all those different bits and pieces and then you think, well, what are the opportunities we've got? What, what can we potentially see coming up? So church planting two services, um, cross-cultural ministry, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you'd think your way through those. And through that process, you'll work out some of those potential opportunities. They don't fit with our core vision or whatever as you analyse them against the other ones. Uh, and so you make sure you document all that. And so that six months' time, once you started and you're in the busyness of church life and everything, someone comes along and says... Hey Lawson, we want to start a. Um, try not to be rude to anyone by suggesting a particular ministry. Pardon? A group, ukulele group. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure they would have come up. Yeah, don't um, You'd be able to say, "Great idea. We had that thought six months ago, but we know it doesn't fit with our our vision." Or, "Yes, that's exactly what we thought. Let's have a chat more about that." So I think that the key difference between straw man planning and strategic planning is the level of detail that you go to and yeah. how that gets played out. From, like for, our, for our circumstance, we've gone, um, you know, this is a rough thing of what we, would, what we pray God will do in our church in 12 months, three years, five years, and 10 years. Just it's like in a table. We'd love to have this many people. We'd love to be here, that type of thing. And then we've gone, what would we need to, for that to happen? Actually, no, we could probably manage that and we could probably manage that. 
we could not manage that. That would mean this, and we haven't even thought about that yet. So at that point, it's just been a, uh, we've used strategic planning in that sense to go, what would we love, and it's very vague. Um, uh, I think Andrew, I've forgotten your name, Andrew. Andrew Mitchell is a great person to have chatted with this. So Andrew Mitchell has done this type of thing a bit here, and uh, I think you've got a, an idea of how to be doing this well. Yeah. So there you go. I've just thrown you under the bus. Do you want me to say something? If you, uh, do you want to say something? I can say something quickly. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think it, on a one-page thing, I think it is as simple as thinking, say, just for the year, where do I want to be at the end of this year? So, yeah, a basic point is, you know, with 5% growth, how many people are we going to have? How many leaders do we need? I don't know. So get a, a vision for the future, and then it's working out SWOT analysis, whatever. But what are the what are the key five things that we're going to do to achieve that? What are the things that are going to move us forward? <clears throat> and identifying in all the things church is doing, what are the key things we're going to push into key initiatives to achieve the outcome? How are we going to take some active steps towards that? Let's yeah, be clear on what they are. You're realising that to move forward, you need to raise up leaders. So we're going to, have a lead, we're going to raise up three more leaders in this part of the ministry, and we're going to work away at that. Um, or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, with the SWOT analysis or thinking about church life, where, where are the weaknesses? And then where are you going to get the biggest thing for that if you were on? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. The other thing that we've done is we've gone, uh, so we've got these congregations and we're looking to uh, plant new congregations, like split congregations, that type of thing. And so we've gone, okay, what are the triggers? What are the things that we need to have in place before we do it? So again, it's kind of opportunity, opportunity thinking rather than strategy thinking, if, if you can make that distinction. I'm going, we... We, the opportunity won't be there unless these things are in place. So we've got to have this many people, and we've got to have a, we've got to have the ability to manage this type of thing, and we have to be able to, to to do this. And until that happens, we can't do it. Okay. Oh, all right. That's really helpful. We know what we're trying to aim at. And that's you look at that and go, wow, that's going to take three years before we do that. Or we can do that now. Why aren't we doing it? Okay. Is there, is there another trigger that we haven't seen? What's stopping me? So yeah, there's ways to think about it. Principle-wise, uh, I think one of the key ideas we're talking about here is probably more principle-driven than um, measurably-driven. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other benefit of changing the terminology from strategic planning to straw man planning is if you do have corporate people in your church, they'll go, ah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, we do that at work. Yeah. Ah, so you don't want me to tell you what the KPIs should be and uh, hold you accountable to that. Yeah. Ah, you, you want, we're thinking options. Great. Yeah. And so you, you're starting to talk a language that they understand. Cool. Uh, let me move on to the next session. Uh, we did a communications one before. A lot of you guys were there. I just want to say a couple of things around communications. Uh, the best way to empower your staff team to communicate well is tell them no, that they can't do things. So you cannot make announcements on Sunday. 
That's a, one of the best ways to empower them because what it does, it forces them to be really clear and think better about how they are going to communicate. What normally happens is people go, oh yeah, we're running this thing and so we need to announce it on, on Sunday. To which we say, okay, tell me one of the announcements from last Sunday. Every time, they can't remember. All right. Sunday announcements do not work. You have to have a better idea, and so you push the responsibility back onto them, saying, how are you going to communicate this other than Sunday? If you've got a way of communicating other than Sunday, then come back to us, and we might communicate it. And we've got three principles about what we communicate um, on, on Sunday. It's got to fit, it's got to be core to your church, core vision and values. The church soccer team is not church, is not core vision and values for your church. It does not get a mention out the front. It's got to be urgent. It's got to be, it's happening soon. It's got to be, it's present in people's minds. Telling people that something's happening six months ahead on a Sunday does not help them. They're not writing it down. They don't have their diaries. They're not writing things. Asking them to get their phone out and put it in isn't going to work. You know, just don't do that. And um, it's got to be for more than 50% of the people in the room. So if there's an event on for 20 people and you've got 100 people in the room, go and talk to the 20 people. It works so much better than taking up 100 people's time for three minutes. You know, so empower your staff to communicate better by stopping them communicating whenever they want to. Just uh, other things like um, uh, control, uh, oh no, that's what we do next. Um, uh, part of this is helping your church give them consistent ways that you communicate. So we kind of talked about that in the, uh, in the communication thing, so I won't go through that. But we, we've, we've identified a couple of key ways. We send out uh, an email every month, and that's got all the details for every event for that month. And so if people got questions about where things are, they know to go to that email. We tried doing it other ways, and we've just decided email is going to be the easiest way. People can search for it. Yeah. It takes so much time for us to do it. <laughs> so, and uh, if people get emails too regularly, they just ignore it. And so, I, yep, I reckon. Yeah, I, why do it? Like, yeah, I mean, you get people to church every week. Good. Like, is is it? Is there something that has to be communicated that week that's so urgent you need to put another thing in the inbox? Andrew. I just put a question back about that. Our church currently does Yeah. So part of that is being really clear on why we're doing it. We're sending this email because we want you to be aware of what's happening on Sunday, to pick up the ideas from last Sunday. So, sorry, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it every week. I'm saying you should be really clear on why. We've just gone, it, we don't think we're going to hit those things and the amount of effort it takes to do it is quite high. So we're, not, we're going to do those other things otherwise. Yeah. How do you communicate a church event that's for the whole church, like a church camp, mm. sends a year's time I don't know, so... You want to save the date? Yeah. We have slides that run before and after church and... Yeah, so... There will be the thing that will say, hey, this is on, but... 
Yeah, the, we can't expect that'll work. One of the ways I think communication, I think it got raised there, the best way to, to solidify something that you communicate is by getting people to talk about it. And so we've started communicating to growth groups by, via video. We film a video every month and we show it, we get to growth group leaders, show this video. They show it on the screen and then the point of the video is pray about the content in your group. So people look each other in the eye and go, oh yeah, I forgot that thing was on. And Are you going to that, that type of thing? And that solidifies, because they're communicating about it, solidifies the idea that you're, <laughs> you're communicating. And so uh, that's one of the ways that we've done that. And so we might do it like that. So for someone that likes to be organised holidays, for example, mm. then I know not to book a holiday when they're having church camps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so we'll, so in the, in the email, we'll, we'll, we'll communicate things like, a few months away, something's happening. We'll, we'll do that as well. Yeah. Back on the email thing, if you're using something like MailChimp, it will tell you how many people actually open the email and read it. It can be a bit defeating if you do that and you're sending out a weekly email and you work out two people are reading it, but mm. it's helpful information too. Yeah. Uh, other things that we did in communication, website and social media, we can discuss later. Um, one of the things we did for our staff that was really helpful is we limited uh, the amount of fonts they could use. <laughs> we just said, um, you can use one font, that's it, just do that. And the, the reason is we're freeing them up because I don't want my staff spending a second of time, their precious pastoral ministry time, I don't want them caring about what font they use and I want it to look good. So I take that decision away from them and they're happy because they go, cool, okay, I'll just use that font, no worries, it's great. And so free up your staff by taking decisions off them. It's Brandon Grotesque. We paid for it. <laughs> so we, we've now, we now allow two. We did a full year with only one. And we said, you've done well. You can now have another font. You know, you've been very good children. Well done. <laughs> Which one? Roboto. Roboto. Yeah, Roboto's good. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, we had a designer go, this is what we think you use. We then had to add a kid's font because neither of our fonts work for kids. And we had to bring in a third one. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, this is fascinating. <laughs> okay, let's move on to uh, finances. Um, so people in churches don't want to know there's a budget. They want to know their money is being invested. So you see that in the notes there. Um, I think investing by nature conjures up the idea of a return. Uh, and in the church case, the return's in kingdom currency, not Aussie dollars. Um, but how you manage, or how your church manages and talks about money uh, has a big impact on the culture me, of the church. So in our churches, we still have a budget, uh, but wherever possible, we try and talk about, uh, use the language of investing rather than budgeting. So you, you know this, you never bring a new staff member on and say, can you please budget for our trainee? <laughs> you don't talk in that language, do you? You talk about investing in someone. Please don't talk in that language. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we don't talk in that language. Um, uh, but we don't do that with a lot of other things. So uh, a lot of other church life, we don't ask people to invest in. Um, it just kind of is part of the budget. Uh, so that, that's one learning we've got. Um, and encouraging people to invest in everyday things is also really important. So there's people who know far more about this than I do, but um, people are captured. Some people are captured by the one-off projects or the the needs that are a one-off. 
Uh, for us, church planting has been one of those things. We, we're always amazed at um, the amount of people who are keen to give towards church planting uh, activities. For others, set and forget and don't talk, don't talk to me about it. Um, so everyone in a church has a different, different kind of uh, idea about what works for them. Uh, when you're reporting on finance, um, focus on the direction, not the details. So when you're, whoever it is in your church is standing up reporting about finance, you can talk uh, about um, the income to expense ratio, free cash flow, weighted average cost of capital, all these kind of things. The only the accountants are going to care. Um, and they will. And they will, yeah. <laughs> and you'll get more questions. Um, the feedback needs to be at a level that anyone can understand in the church. Uh, and so therefore focusing on the direction rather than um, the detail, the actual numbers is really helpful, I think. One thing we've started doing is breaking uh, church expenses and everything down to numbers that people can actually understand. So we'll say something like, for every $100 that's been given, uh, we've spent 85 of them and we're putting away 15 uh, for the future. Talking in that kind of context, people can actually, anyone can understand that. Mm. Um, and then the other thing I'd say to how you talk about money in church is be consistent with it. People don't like it when one month you're talking about something over here and then the next month you're talking about a different, and they can't equate the numbers, your accountants get upset, etc., etc. Uh, and you want to provide people with confidence. So I think this is one area you do want to be business-like in how you, you treat treat money. So you never want to appear like you're hiding anything or you're being, um, you know, not transparent. Um, and people respect when you're being transparent and honest, I think. So, yeah. So in our situation in Trinity, we have a business manager. That job title has been picked for a very good reason uh, because it instills confidence. He's the one who manages the money. Uh, he knows business mm. stuff. So, cool. Any questions? Well, so one of the things we do when we, we communicate money is we give a, a simple handout to everybody and then we have a really big handout up the back. So we say... If you want the details, they're all there. We want to be as transparent as possible. You can ask any question. Or if you want the big details, it's all there. You can go get it. But for everyone else, th this is what, what we what we're going to understand. Yeah. Um, just on that, hmm. um, in my situation, it, it's... Uh, sorry, the question was, how often are you feeding back about finance details? Um, be honest I think in our churches it, it varies so for some churches it's quarterly some churches it's monthly uh, if it's a church plant and it's just started you're probably actually talking about it more regularly than not just so that people are understanding how things are going uh, we don't have a hard and fast rule we in our situation we leave that up to the the ministry teams to work out what they think works yeah we are uh, we've we, we've tried doing every month at, at church, an update, and we found that didn't work uh, for, for various reasons. Normally, because on certain months it's just not the right month to do it, and then it gets too close to the next one, that type of thing. Uh, and so we've decided to move it to the growth group videos. So in the growth group videos, we have a quick update. This is how we're going on finance, and we say, and we keep reminding them the reason we're doing this because this is family business, mm -hmm. and when you have people over for tea at your house, 
you don't talk about your finances with your family. So why would we do it on Sunday? And so we, we avoid talking about money at all costs because it's one of the big stumbling blocks for non-Christians. Yeah. They think Christians only... that They think their friends are fools for giving money to church. They think it's, church is just a cult that's getting your money. And if they, if they turn up at church and you say, hey, you know, struggling with money, if you can give, we're going to pass the... Pl Please don't pass the plate. Um, yeah, they, it just feeds into all of their expectations about our church. So we don't pass the plates, we don't, we, we, as much as possible, don't talk about money. Now, having said that, this Sunday just gone, we talked about money at church. You know, so it's not a hard and fast rule, but at all costs. So this is where the, our, the, the mission guy at our church has spoken in to what we do and is going, hey, if we care about non-Christians, we need to think harder about how this happens. Any other questions about finance before we roll over to the next one? Uh, if in your budget you plan for a deficit, how do you then communicate the need to be giving and cover that without putting the expectation that the congregation needs to pick up what you plan that it's okay for you to not pick up? Does that make sense? Yeah. Hmm. <coughs> Has someone else planned a deficit that can speak into this? We've never planned a deficit. We've made a bit, we've, made we've achieved a deficit. <laughs> yeah. Dominic, have you ever planned a deficit? Uh, no. I don't think so. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, 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 oh, I mean, sorry. Obviously, we, we have we had 70 grand Yeah, that's not a planned one. You're not putting in the budget. Yeah, Andrew? I think you've, you've worked out what the budget giving you want, and you talk about that. I mean, at your AGM or whatever, you'd say, look, we are planning for a deficit for whatever reason. But then as you communicate through the year, even though you're planning for a deficit, there's a certain amount of giving that's required. So then I'd, I'd talk to them about how you're going against the budget and giving from that point on. Yeah, we've even talked about it um, in terms of like when we've wanted to make surplus, we've just called the surplus part of our expenses. You know, and we, part of our expenses is putting this money aside. And so these are our expenses for this month and our incomes this month. And part of the expenses is our savings, but we're expensing it, you know, off to the side. And so... But if you're going to make a deficit, I'd, I'd be uh, wanting to communicate really clearly why and when. Yeah. Why we're doing this. This is really important, so important that we do this type of thing. And we can only be this much. We cannot deal with a deficit less than this, and so our giving this with this. And when, it, this is only for this year. You know, it, it's a long-term plan rather than a, a planned thing. Yeah. It may be the case if you've got a capital expense that you're going to benefit for the next 10 years. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you haven't got the reserve and you say, yep, we're budgeting for a deficit, but it'll be utilised. Yeah, that's yeah. right. This is why we're doing it. Yeah. Now I think about it, and I think in our case, when we do have a deficit, we actually end up talking longer term. So we kind of show that, yeah, we may, we may be church planting this year and we are, we are budgeting for a deficit, but our plan is that over three years, 
that uh, doesn't happen, uh, that deficit gets erased or something like that. So, yeah. 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 Uh, one of the things about communicating money is I have two things that I do, or I, one now, is I will, uh, I will try to explain it to my wife. And if I can't explain it in 20 seconds, it's not good enough communication. Sorry, if she can't understand it, what, what point I'm trying to make in 20 seconds, it's not good communication. I need to get it to that level because, so she loves our church by finding this hard. She's an accountant, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple of things we want to quickly work through. Uh, yes? Uh, which accounting package are you using? Uh, we're using zero. Same, zero. Yep. Yep. Uh, with that, we've got, uh, we manage it through, uh, through volunteers. So we, we get a professional audit, but everything is all done by volunteers. That is, as much as possible, if you can not staff for finances, if you can, it saves you money, and it's something that you should be able to, yeah, hopefully depending on size, that sort of thing. But yeah, once you get quite big, it's hard to do. Uh, a couple of things to work through. I want to encourage you uh, to build an admin team. Uh, a this idea that they are helping the kingdom by helping run stuff at church. And so uh, we have a team of people. One of the ways we've set this up is we've got an email address, which is admin at org, And our staff team, we've trained them. We say, if you've got a little job that you just need done, printing, update the database with a list of people, things need done, just email admin. And we have volunteers who come in and open the, the admin inbox and go, do it, and then they reply, done. And so our staff can send stuff off, because I don't want our staff spending time updating fields in the database. Like if there's like 100 people, if there's one, you go and do it, I think. But so often our staff print off a list and go, all oh, these people need to change. I don't want them doing that. That's not their job. Oh, we can get that other people to do. So we try to do that as much as possible. Uh, when we get our, our, our volunteers in this, one of the things I'll do with them is say, this is great. Um, do you understand how this is serving the kingdom? And so I'll ask them, as I'm, I'm kind of actually trained them, how does this job grow the kingdom? Explain the steps. Explain the connection between this job and kingdom growth. And they're like, oh, you know, whatever. No, no, no. Take the time. Let's... Let's explain to me how this, and they go, well, this is updating where people are at with the life series and who finished it this week, and we want these people to be well followed up so that they can hear the gospel again. Great. You're doing kingdom work. I want to make sure those admin people don't feel like they're just doing a job. I want to help them see that they're doing an integral role in the kingdom in the church. Um, so we get them to do all, all sorts of things such that our staff team doesn't have to spend time on that. My ideal, the re, one of the things, again, one of the things pastors do is we think that the exciting work is preaching the gospel and leading Bible studies and that type of thing. And so we go, oh, this is, this is, this is admin work. This is terrible. Nobody wants to do this, so I have to do it. And what they don't realise is that there are people in church who would love to do that. We have someone who enters, enters the total value of receipts and she loves it. It's this spreadsheet that's like a thousand lines long and she's just like, this serves the kingdom? I'm like, yeah, this earns money for church. And she's like, this is great. And so it's her dream job. And we tell our staff, there are people who want to do this for you and they can't believe it because they think it's the worst job in the world. But those people those admin people who love admin and lists, 
they think leading a Bible study is the worst thing in the world. Not that they love the value of it, but they petrified of it. They could never do it. And so helping our staff realise that there are people out there who love doing this stuff and encouraging the connection. So my ideal, my dream, is that we have a one-day-a-week or two-day-a-week admin helper for every one of our staff that basically works as a PA. That's my dream, that our, all of our staff just have someone that they don't need to send an email to admin anymore, they just send it to their person, and their person just does so much of their job because I don't want our staff doing all that stuff. Yeah. What sort of people are these? Are they stay-home mums? Are they retirees? Are they... A whole mix, yeah. Um, so um, we've had people who are, um, who are students. We've had uh, mums. Um, we've got a guy who's on dialysis, you know? Yeah. And having said that, not just that. So. I, we have someone at the moment who we've said, you're great at this, can you work your job four days a week and do this one day a week? And so that's what she's done. So we've, we've asked her to invest time in this because it grows our church. And it's great. Yeah. Uh, can you have someone who overlooks those admin working years or just email or such? Mainly the, so mainly the email, but we train them. So as they come in, we train them up so they can respond to things in the email. And then when certain things come up that they can't manage, that gives an opportunity to develop them more. Um, quite often, things will come in that our staff think, oh, this is easy, and it's actually not. It's actually a project, not a task. And so we take that as an opportunity to go, okay, can we skill this person up in this particular role for this, this person and tee them up together? And that trains the staff member in how to delegate an administrative responsibility to for someone, such that next time that staff member has that job, they can find someone in their team that they can give that, that job to. So we're about matching our staff to admin people as much as we can, and we take the opportunities as they come. Quite often, by quite often I mean once every 12 months or maybe more, we'll go to our staff, sit down, have a meeting, and go, what are the jobs you hate doing? If I could, if I could take a job off your plate right now, what would it be? And they go, oh well, I actually hate putting the names in the roster for Sunday. And we go, why are you doing that? Why didn't you tell us you were doing that? Don't do that. We'll find someone for you to do that type thing. But they think that that's not something they can hand off. And so we've got to keep training them that, no, that's just an admin role. But people who love doing that can do it twice as fast in, and twice as well. Yeah, because they make mistakes. Because they're ambiguous, yeah. Does the use of Speaking of databases. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, can we move on to databases? And we've got, we've got a section we're going to talk about that. So a mate of mine, Albert Einstein, once said, um, not everything that can be counted matters, and not everything that matters can be counted. I think that's really helpful when it comes to thinking about uh, church health and measuring church health. Um, I'm sure you've all been in, you've got mates who've been in other churches, not your church, uh, where a lot of decisions are made by anecdote, you, you know. All someone the, told me. Someone told me this, yeah. etc. Uh, that happens all the time. I, I think a database, and so what I'm talking about a database is a, a collection of data about uh, what's going on in your church is really helpful lens uh, that helps pastors make accurate decisions rather than just operating on anecdotes. So 
Um, if your church doesn't have a database, well, hands up, who has a database in their church? Everyone. Nearly everyone. Fantastic. Cool. Elvanto. <laughs> CC, okay. CCV. One, two, three. Yeah. Okay. Anything cool. else? Fluoro. Fluoro? Yeah. Fellowship. Oh, Pastoral care. Pastoral care. Fluoro. Yeah, okay. Yep, sure. Jethro. Jethro. There Works like it sounds. <laughs> All right. So who then, met, uh, <laughs> who then captures weekly attendance? Is that all? Yeah, good. Excellent. So just by, just by capturing weekly attendance, there's about 10 different measures that you can uh, calculate from that, that when you start looking at them uh, in in parallel can be really helpful. So uh, individual attendance gives you the total size of your gathering on any given Sunday, so you can get trends within your gathering. You can compare it to the year before, to last month, whatever. Uh, if you've got a role and you're measuring indi um, individual attendance, you should be able to work out the number of visitors you've got, so the people that were there that weren't on the role by subtracting the total headcount. You get a good indication of number of visitors that you've got coming in. You can also work out how regularly people attend. So the average across Australia is 60% um, of people who are regular members are in church on a Sunday. Uh, so you can get that from that number. And then when you start looking at them all in parallel, you, uh, it really helps you kind of understand the trends of your church. Um, we, in our situation, we see churches with really high regularity of attendance often trend towards having low numbers of visitors so they're quite they become quite clicky and um, insular and the opposite churches that have really high number of visitors have lower regularity of attendance because their fringe is, is getting bigger right. so getting those kind of insights from just capturing who's there on a Sunday will help you plan your ministry that help the ministry teams plan their ministry so so much things like all our visitors in Adelaide, I'm not sure how it's like around the rest of the country, all our visitors show up in January. That's our highest month of visitors. When do our staff all take leave? January. <laughs> um, when do all our regulars go on leave? January. So now our staff don't take leave January. And yep. they don't know that yet. But um, <laughs> no. We told our staff that a few years ago. I oh, see so you guys have learned all this already. Yeah, don't, don't take yeah. leave in January. Um, yeah. So a database is such a helpful helpful tool and if you use it properly, the insights you can gain on the church health is just quite fantastic. Um, I've, I've got a few principles on database. Um, uh, one of them is uh, uh, what a database is meant to be is a, is, a, is a helpful reflection of a spiritual reality. That you, what you're trying to do is capture as close as you possibly can the spiritual reality of your church. Uh, so. The running joke in our church, in our staff team is if someone has a baby, uh, so we go, oh, isn't that excited? They had, they had a baby, and we'll be like, are they in Elvanto yet? No, they haven't. <laughs> someone became a Christian. Are they marked as a Christian in Elvanto yet? No, they haven't. They're not. They're not. They're not sitting in the heavenly realms with Jesus unless their name is Elvanto has become a Christian in 2019. You know, you know, it has to be like that. And so part of coming out of that is, um, if one of your staff has a spreadsheet with names in it, fire them. You do Amen. not have separate databases. So this is our threat to us after. We've never pulled through in. But you don't have separate lists. The database is a shared list 
for team pastoring. That is, your church, your flock, is pastored by a team. So in order to love the flock, your team needs to share the details. If you've got this team, if your life, life, mission team's the worst. <laughs> love mission teams. They bring chaos that we help support. Uh, they, they've got this list of people who came. And you go, that's great. But are they in the database? Oh, no, no, they haven't. Not in the database. So when we contact, who do you know who to contact? Well, this person has a list from last year, and it's different to this person's list from last year. And you're going, no, you're not. You're, you think you're loving people because you've got this list, but... We, so we ask our staff to make a sacrifice so that we all use a shared thing for the sake of the saints, for the sake of those who we want to be saints. Uh, and so we're constantly enforcing that. And then that means part of our job is to go to them and say, is the database working for you? What's stopping you use it? And so uh, that means we've con we're constantly changing how we use the database because our teams are constantly changing. They're building systems in order to, for growth. And so the, the system we use to record the growth needs to change as well. So one of the things we do, we were using our people flows in Elvanto uh, for uh, non-Christians being involved. And what we're finding was the, the, the mission team just could not do it. They just could not get to the point that they would put these things in. They went, okay, what do you want? What, what, what do you want to record? And they said, we just want to record a name of who in church is following this person up. And we just want to record what stage they're up to. And I said, write down for me what stages. They, come, they think there are nine stages people are up to. Great. Okay, so we made a drop-down field for every single person at church with a drop-down field of what stage they're up to. And we made a field, who's following up? And the mission team used those fields. And so all of a sudden, the mission team has jumped onto using Elvanto. They love it because now it helps them do the thing they want to do. So rather than creating a thing that fights against what they're doing, we want, to, we want to adapt as much as we possibly can so we're helping them do the thing they want to do. Yeah? So just on the database, I'm not familiar with Elvanto, mm. but um, how do you go managing privacy issues and having so many people being able to access other people? Yeah, well, we use CCB, and you can control that very easy. There's levels within CCB. People can have access... Um, yeah, it does multi-campus stuff really well as well. Yeah, so. same in Elvanto. We get people to sign a, um, a policy, a database access policy beforehand that describes how they're supposed to use it and by what conditions we will not let them use it anymore and that type of thing. And so uh, we get them to re-sign that every year to make sure they understand what those responsibilities are. Cool. Time's getting away from us, so let's keep, let's keep moving. Uh, do... Yeah, I think yeah, we've done most of the stuff. Are there questions in, are there in, in general? Are there the questions that people want to ask about? So are there things that you're doing at your church that you're like, we do this and we or others in the room might just have ideas or suggestions? Okay. Um, like it just seems that there's a lot of extra cost that come along 
How do you think about that person? So, are you saying there's somebody who is willing to give money to certain things? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or how do you budget for it? Or is it, is it that you're willing to go over budget when you see something? What's the mindset? On yeah, so within our context, we plan for it. So, we say to all our staff, um, you can have uh, one conference a year that the church will pay for, and so that's flights, accommodation, conference, rego and everything. Uh, over and above that, it's kind of by negotiation with their leadership team, depending how the year's going. So, yep. Yeah. Is that something you meant? Yeah. So you can explain. How do we treat ad hoc things? good opportunities, especially things that you haven't planned for the year in advance. So not in the budget, but you see a good opportunity. Yeah. And that's good. That's good. Where does that come from from an operations? Yeah. Yeah. So we often have situations where like a budget's just a something that happens in a point in time that a group of people dreamt up a year ago. It's the re yeah. reality it's changes. Guess. Uh, yeah. It's a guess. Um, if there's a good ministry case for it. Uh, what we'll often say is, well, what were you planning on doing that you're now not going to do so you can do that? Because that's a better thing. Um, and most people are quite happy to operate within that. They go, oh, yeah, we, we budgeted this much to do videos for this series we're going to do. We're actually going to change that and do something else because this is more important than that. Mm. Well, yeah, so we'd go, uh, there's certain things that we put in the budget for. If money's tight, then we'll cut stuff. But at the same time, so that's an opportunity lost. We go, because of these circumstances, this, this circumstance has happened, so we're reducing the amount we're spending. By that same principle, if this opportunity happens, then we will increase spending. So it's, it's responding to opportunities. So cutting money from, the, from your expenses is responding to opportunities, responding to circumstances, and increasing the money we're spending is responding to opportunities circumstances and so working out how, how to do that and part of that is setting a mini budget of going we think this opportunity and we think we can raise an extra 50 grand by selling this opportunity or by going tapping these these people on the shoulder uh, so it's, it's the same type of thing you're doing in a year but just doing for a, sh a short bit yeah so that's one way to do it and so you can do that you can do it the whole church or you can have certain people so at certain points we've gone and tapped certain people on the shoulder and said hey you know how you love Jesus? Well, this is opportunity, and we thought you'd like to know, is that something you'd like to give particularly to? You know, if that's the right circumstance for, for that thing. And other times we've gone to everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as, as part of Uh, so the question is, how do you encourage pastors to develop a structure, whatever they're in? Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, I think one of the things we want to do is support, and so we want to go to them and say, hey, can I 
would you like me to chat to you? So that, that poetry plumbing thing was actually really helpful. Hey, you've got this really clear poetry idea. You want to do this thing that's great. Can I sit down with you and offer some suggestions? So I, I would go into it. So the way I got into the role that I'm in now is because I just started to do that with our staff team anyway. That I noticed that I was able to do this, this thinking strategically that they were less not that I was able to do, they're great at it, but I was able to do it in a way that they weren't. And so I'd go to them and say, hey, can we sit down and have a chat about that? I've had some ideas that you can take on board. And so they, I say, so explain to me what's going. And I say, look, have you thought about doing this and this? And most of the time they go, actually, that's a great idea. Or they go, no, that's not going to work because of this. I go, oh, you didn't mention that before. Okay, well, if that's the case, why don't you do this? You know, and so I'm offering them suggestions that they can then take on board that I want to be I want to show that I don't if they don't need to improve their structure I don't want to annoy them but if they do need to then I want to support them I want to help them and so part of this is I need to understand what they're doing and so I want to offer support wherever I can and sometimes the structures they've got are the best things that, that, that they can for various circumstances the the ugly pipes they've got is what at the moment is best and so I'm helping them do the best they can because usually a lot of our pastors are really good at the people stuff. Um, and that's good. We don't want to take that away, but we want to increase it. And so if we can convince them that's what we want to do, that we want to help them increase their, their people stuff, then they actually like the ideas. Yeah. So, so what happens, say, for example, if they're good at what they're doing, mm. they understand, like, say, they're M, they're heroing it, they know, but articulating it back out is a difficulty. Articulating the system they've got? Yeah, so in their head it's just working, right? Yeah, yeah. But articulating it back out to, you know, a layperson to understand how that works. So it's helping a layperson understand the system they've got. Well, so maybe it's helping them understand that there's a problem that their lay people don't understand. And so that's, it's going, hey, can I raise this with you? I wonder if your team don't necessarily understand the system you've got. Uh, do you think they do? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Okay, explain it to me. And they go, oh, there's this. And then you go, okay, it's been 10 minutes. Have you, is it all out yet? No, 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 there's still more system to go. Okay, do you see how people are going to find it? You know, helping them understand that there's an issue, not doing it arrogantly and... This is the thing I have to struggle with, not doing it arrogantly and stuff like that. Uh, doing it in a way that's helpful for them. Yeah, so I think we want to helpfully encourage them to be clear and improve that clarity if we can. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, ten churches, and you're across those ten churches, and you're aware of their finances. Mm -hmm. Have you worked out um, ratios of percentage maintenance to... Value buildings, numbers of people in buildings. Um. Yeah, so we own one building for the ten churches. We rent nine others. Um, so you're asking a particular venue question there, are you? Yeah, or yeah, just um, yeah. yeah. So uh, work we have done in terms of ratios is we know what an average household gives across our network. Um, we know what, and then we kind of can adjust that for the dim different demographic areas we've got, and we can tell the churches, uh, you know, in 
in your area, we think you're, um, if you're planning on putting another staff member on and this is going to be your budget, you're going to be sitting in the top 5% quartile of what people would be expecting to be giving across your whole church. So we can bring that kind of sense to a, a, a budget number. They're the kind of ratios we work on. We don't, we don't do a lot in terms of, we've got one building, it's historic, it's falling down, it's, it's a nightmare, so we don't do a lot of useful stuff there. Sorry. When you said um, you, you adjust your budget, budget adjustments normally come out of maintenance. <laughs> that's just a fact of life. Yeah, yep. Um, we're short of money, we won't fix it. We'll, we'll do it next year. Okay. Yep. Um, which then builds up a debt, mm. and that debt then needs to be paid off. Yep. But trying to give um, somebody uh, a concept of um, you, have a value, you have a land value, or you have a, a, a building value here of a million dollars. Um, you should expect to spend 15% uh, <laughs> of that million in maintenance per year. Yeah. And if you don't, you're just simply building up a debt. But trying to get that sort of concept through. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, like, from previous industries, there's um, rules of thumb that a lot of yes. people use for those kind of things. It's very commercial. It's very commercial. Um, but that information is available, and I'm not quite sure it'd be too different for a church in many sense. Like, if your building is X size, it's going to cost you this much to run your air conditioning, and it's going to cost you this much to maintain it, and that kind of stuff. Um, we haven't done a lot of that work, just because we don't need to. But when you said ten, I thought ten buildings, <laughs> you own ten, you must be gathering this. <laughs> yeah, I wish. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, slightly off that question. Uh, why that, that multi-trinity network? So why not three main centres rather than ten smaller? Why is it also from the community aspect, even though it might not be as cost-effective as worth it, as we kind of think about the operations point of view? Um, is that... Do you ask an operations question, or why do we church plant? Yeah, kind of both. So, yep. uh, you know, what's the better What's the better way? To, obviously, you guys have chosen to attend church planting rather than, say, three centres around Adelaide and people travel. Mm. Uh, in our experience, uh, people travel about 20 minutes to something in Adelaide. Any further than that, and they're going on holidays. Um, so we planted essentially on a 20-minute ring around Adelaide. If you looked at the map the other night, we've kind of picked points that are 20 minutes away from our main church. Uh, and then we try to... It's a balance between 20 minutes and where you've got people that are coming from, because we like to plant with people. Um, so yeah, 20 minutes and then trying to keep going further and further away. So it, we think we can reach more people by having 10 churches of 300 than we can by having three churches of 1,000, essentially. That, we might be wrong, but um, that's the way we've decided to do it. Other questions? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're leveraging that with cost savings? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, from a finance, mm -hmm. payroll, um, accounting point of view, that's all centralised for us. So, none of the churches have to worry about that. We've, we've got an accountant who sits in the network, who manages all that kind of stuff. Um, just at the point where like, buying power is starting to become significant. So, um, you know, 
doing deals with printers and stuff like that, we can see significant cost savings just on volume rather than, um, you know, a church going and getting 10 Bible studies printed. You know, if we're getting a 1,000 of them printed, the costs are often quite the same. And um, it's, it's even more that, it's, I'm speaking to your stuff, it's more that it's, there's, it's, it's like the font thing. You've got these 10 churches and you've made all of these decisions on their behalf that are minor, but it just means they don't have to. And so there's this cost benefit to time, which on top of that, um, there's an evangelistic outcome that you've got these 10 places that are operating at a high level. So normally you get a, a church plant that's completely on its own and it exhausts itself just running, just existing. And so you spend your first three to five years not dying. And then if you do that, you might grow. Right. And so um, what this does is it says, here's all the support such that you can not just survive, but try to thrive. Hmm. And so it's not so much a cost benefit, it's an opportunity cost benefit. They can do so much more with by trying to centralise the right things. And that's one of the decisions that you make with any church, is working out, as soon as you've got multiple staff, you're working out what do we centralise. And that's something you want to change over time as well, and so at various points, you, but working out what you centralise and what you externalise to each staff, what, what you, what, what, how you disperse responsibility and how you centralise responsibility <laughs> is something that feeds into your staff culture and your efficiency as a church. Yeah. Last question. That we use for, um, like, organising non-linear centres, you know, our email systems and our file systems. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts on, like, mm. do you have shared, like, cloud sources? Do you keep all your files? And mm. How do you, so questions about how do you keep, how do you consolidate your data and your, your content and... And, and communicate with you, you just use private emails for everybody or do you... Yeah. So we've invested in domain names, so we're kind of in the middle of changing that all over. Um, we had a trademark Trinity, because apparently you can't get a domain name with Trinity in it without doing a trademark, so we've been through that process. So we, we own the Trinity domain now, which means all our pastors have you know, ben.chapman at trinity.church uh, type thing, so um, we do that. Uh, we use Google. Um, Suite that we, that's, that's what we use as well um, for charity and everything, it's quite effective. Um, it works well when you're interfacing back to lay people as well because a lot of them understand it and they use it. Um, so, Google Drive is a pretty uh, effective way of sharing things. We've set up resource libraries using that that people can, like home group leaders, can log into and find all the Bible study materials that have been used in one of the nine other churches, um, yeah, that kind of stuff. So in general, we've we've avoided making a resource library much, as much as we can, because they change too quickly. And there's a cost of not having it, but there's also a cost of having it and updating it. As soon as the, the single time someone logs in to find something that's out of date, communicates them, never look again. So unless you're going to devote yourself to making sure it's up to date all the time, then... I'm happy to email it out every week to everyone. You guys are so professional. <laughs> we just, yeah. Last question. I did say that. Just regards your comment of uh, not dying for the first three, five years. Mm. 
uh, I deliberately decided to call our church New Life. <laughs> so <Sorry>, that <laughs> very good. Uh, I had I remember someone saying that they uh when they started church planting they had this vision for we're gonna uh, we're gonna reach the world with the gospel of Jesus and and with all power and that type of thing and they said that after twelve months their vision statement was we're walking around in the darkness with our pants around our ankles we've just like we've had no idea what we're doing it's just we're just surviving who knows that's something uh hopefully that's not your experience uh how about i pray and then uh we'll finish up heavenly father we are desperate to see your glory and your kingdom grow we uh, like the angels want to rejoice at the the thought of someone repenting and turning to Jesus and being saved Father that brings us joy and so with a heart for that we want to see our our staff and our teams and our uh, our volunteers be able to do as much ministry as they can and we would love to resource them for that Father please help our churches to be well supported and well organised to think clearly about what they're doing Um, Father, we pray that we'd be able to look back in years to come and be able to see the fruit of our labour, not necessarily in what we have done, but in what what those we have supported and what they have done. And we pray that you would bring yourself glory in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks so much, guys.